0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We're going to continue our series this week up close and personal. Uh, We're studying the book of 1 John together, okay? So if you would turn with me to chapter 4. Uh, in 1 John. We're going to start in verse 7. I have a, an exceptional challenge in front of me today because uh, I, I know I say this all the time, okay? So I, know, I realize I have no credibility when I say this, um, but I just need you to trust me. It's, it's real this time. 1 John 4, 7 through 21, are some of the most profound and impacting verses on my life in all of the scriptures. This set of verses has much to do with why this church is named Love City. Some of you have still been wondering about that. Like, did they just try to think of the craziest thing they could uh, to garner attention? No. Uh, I believe that God helped us to name this church, and the reason for that is Love City, it's it's two parts. For us, it's a, it's a constant reminder of, and it's a call to our mission. We want to be a city within the city. We want to be a place of refuge, a place where those that have been failed, those that have failed, those that have been rejected, those that can not find love anywhere else, that this would be a place that they could come to where the love of God would envelop them and their life would be changed. So we want to be a city within the city, a city of love, but also our mission, our call from the scriptures is to go and to love this city anywhere where it is that we are. And I know that we, we represent, you know, we're all in greater Cincinnati, but we represent Various geographic locations. If you're a part of this church, you're called to take the love of God and uh, and impact that place. And so, uh, these verses are just absolutely pivotal to our mission, and I believe should be pivotal to the mission of every Christian church. Um, I need you to I need you to understand. I I, these. The importance of what love is and the call for Christians to love each other and to love their neighbor, the importance of that, the, the need for emphasis upon that cannot, it cannot be overstated. I Believe me, because I try. I, I've tried to overstate it. I, if there's a, a dead horse to be beat, uh, I've beat this one, but that is because I don't think we can exhaust it. Um, let me. I'll give you. Let me lay some track and give you some evidence of why I believe that is. Just, just. Here's the thing. I know what happens. Sometimes we we come, we gather together with God's people. This is something that for some of you has been a a weekly occasion for a long time, and so we can get into this mode where we come, we sit down, we breathe air conditioning, and it's just kind of okay. He's going to talk, and then I know what's going to happen next. I know what's going to happen next, and then you know I get to TiVo. Please hear me. I, this is so important. Just, just hear me in this. Like, for example, you know, some of you don't, maybe you don't like, maybe you don't like how much John talks about love. You think he's overdoing it. Maybe you think that his emphasis is, is too much on that. Maybe you like faith better or joy or truth, but I need you to hear this. The, the bullseye of Christianity, as it pertains to your responsibility, what it is the Christian is supposed to walk out, the bullseye is not truth. The bullseye is not Faith. The bullseye, the high emphasis is love. I'm going to prove it to you. Okay, if you don't like John, let's, let's Paul. Let's, let's see what Paul had to say. Some of you like Paul. 1 Corinthians 13, here's how it starts. It says, if you can talk, if you can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but you have not love, you're a clanging gong and you're a noisy cymbal. It's another way of saying useless. He says, if you have gifts of prophecy and you can understand all knowledge and all wisdom and all mysteries... And if you have faith that can move a mountain even, but you have not love, you're useless. And he goes on to say, if you, if you take all that you have and you give it away so that the poor would be benefited and you surrender your body to the flames to be burned, but you have not love, you're nothing. And that tells us something interesting, doesn't it? It tells us that we could, we could do the most altruistic, seemingly loving thing anybody could think of, which is to give away everything I have to the poor, and then give up myself to be to be sacrificed but i could do that and somehow not have love how does that work the motive see i could do all those things i could i could sell everything i have and give it away but it could be out of a prideful selfish motive it could be because i get a good feeling from that it could not be because i love god because he loved me first and i want others to see his glory that's the only right motive so I could do the right thing, and if the motivation is not love, I could still end up as nothing. I could still end up as, what the apostle says, useless. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. Uh, as it pertains to the, the importance of love, honestly, we could talk to Paul, Peter, Peter, James, clearly John, we could talk to King Jesus himself anytime any of these authors, including the master himself, are given an opportunity to let us know what is of highest emphasis. What is it that the Christian should focus on? What is it that we need understand as it pertains to all of our faith and what all of the scriptures are calling us and leading us to? If you look at Jesus, Jesus' challenge, uh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What's he talk about? Faith? Hope? truth? He says you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbors yourself. Now listen, I'm not setting these things against each other. They all work together. Just understand, as we go through these verses, I need you to perk up your ears and understand we will never ever talk about something more important than we're going to talk about right now. All right? So if you had a piece of pizza downstairs and now you're in the AC and you'd be prone to kind of, you know, do this on me, don't do that. I need you. I need you for 20 minutes to stick with me. Because we will never ever talk about something more important than we're going to talk about today. If we get this right, everything else we're called to do, everything else we struggle with, all of it, what's broken will be fixed and the mission will be accomplished if we get this right here. And that's why these principles that we're going to see laid out in a, in a beautiful order today, that's why they find themselves woven back and through everything else we talk about. I know some of you are sick of it, but it's it's because you're not convinced of its importance. That's what I'm I'm trying to do the work right now to get you to see. You can't think about, talk about, pray about, meditate on anything more important than God loving you and you loving others. You can't. Peter said, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. These are the greatest two commandments. All the law and the prophet, hang on these. Paul said, if you'll love your neighbor you'll fulfill the whole law. That's what Romans 13 talks about, starting in verse 8. It says, Oh no man, anything but to love him. Because if you do that, if you'll love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the whole law. And he starts, he starts laying it out. He says, If you, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet what they have. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet uh, their wife. You're not going to lie to them. Surely you're not going to murder them. You see, all of the law is fulfilled. We get, we get mixed up on all these details and, and, and we get confused, man. If we would just focus on what we are continually, through the scriptures, encouraged to focus on, so many problems would be fixed, and the mission would get done, and God would be glorified. Amen? You excited about that? So all of that was to try to coax you on a journey with me. I want you to love 1 John 4, 7 through 21 as much as I do. I want you to, I want you to read this. You can read it every day, twice a day, and you won't hurt yourself. You'll help yourself and God's mission, Okay? These, these we should commit to memory because it lays out for us in, in, in beautiful, coherent form what is most important, okay? All right, let's go on a journey together. I've got to hold myself to this. Oh, we're good. All right. If it gets to be 30, 10 o'clock, somebody flag me down, okay, because we've got to baptize people still, All right. You saw some people that were here for the first time just got super nervous. You should have seen their faces. (laughs) I'm kidding, I think. I'm going to do my best. Um, (laughs) I don't deal with these verses, you know, all the time. um, But any time I do, I just have to make note... These, uh, and I realize, again, I say it all the time, but these are literally, if not some of my favorite verses in all the Bible, these have shaped me, and it's so funny because uh, when Lucy was little, she got a hold of my Bible, and you know what kids do, they get a hold of something with paper on it, they start marking something. Of all the pages and all the scriptures and all the word, where does my little girl scribble? Look, that's 1 John 4, 7 through 21 right there. My verses, she goes, so I got to read through her scribbles, but it's all right. It reminds me that she loves me and I love her, so makes me feel fuzzy inside. All right. Okay, I'm going to read these verses, then we're going to come back and go through them, okay? Uh, Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. I could have just read that verse to try to get us to all see how important this is, right? The one who does not, did you hear what he said? The one who does not love does not know God. It's a big deal. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Wow. Okay. Let's work on this together. Starting back in verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone... Who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse eight gives us the opposite of that. the one who does not love does not know God for God is love. Okay, pause here's why it seems that in the past you know, you know some people have thought maybe we've been splitting hairs about this, but we're very consistent and we're very adamant that the word love deserve deserves a level of of sanctity and respect that oftentimes it doesn't get because in English, we don't have a a bunch of different words to describe different kind of love. We kind of, in English, we've kind of junk drawered the word love, and so it gets applied to a lot of different things. Um, the Greeks had a word to describe the way they love their brother, the way they love their spouse. They had a, a kind of a, a word for pragmatic love, and then you know the, the the kind of love that only happens between a husband and wife. Amen. So. They, ha- they have different ways to describe that. We don't so much. And so the word that you see used to describe the kind of love that defines the character and nature of God is the word agape. And I guess our point is, my point would be, if the only word we have to describe this, if the word we're going to use is love, then we have to be careful where we put that. And so, for example, if you say that you love nachos in front of my daughter... She's going to go, excuse me, you don't love nachos. We only love people. And then I'm going to go get her nachos or ice cream or whatever she wants because that <laughs> melts Daddy's heart um, when she teaches the Bible. So um, she's three. But uh, it's, it's really important. We can love God and we can love people, and I think that word should be reserved. That's why it matters because here we see the Scriptures say God is Love, like right off the bat, that should let us, this is such a big deal. You don't see that anywhere else in the scriptures. God, God is holy, but that's an adjective, man. God is love. We're seeing God compared to another noun here. Somehow, the very character in nature, the makeup of God himself, love is in there. It colors every part of his character and what he does. And so, that, that's, that's huge. I need to, I need to understand what, what that means. God is love. And then and he's going to go on here and he's going he's to call me to that. He's going to say, because I am love and because I've loved you, I need you to love others. This isn't the only place that that's our call. Uh, all through the scriptures, it, it's clear that the thing that defines us most clearly, the thing that associates us with the master most vibrantly is not faith or our bumper stickers, though those mo- most may both be very good things. It's our love. It's our love one for the other. So love is a big deal. It says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Without this sacrifice, the greatest of all sacrifices, without Jesus coming to live the perfect life that none of us could pull off. You see, this is the crown." jewel. This is the centerpiece of the gospel that we believe and proclaim. That mankind, all of us, since the fall of Adam and Eve, that we are imperfect, that we are marred and stained by sin, that none of us is perfect. And around here we reference that as the bad news. If all I, if all I told you was the first part of the gospel that all of us are imperfect, and, and the deal is God is perfect. God is holy. And so in order to be in fellowship with a perfect God, perfection is required. That's the way he created us at first so that we could walk with him, talk with him, be in his presence. Imperfection cannot be in the presence of a perfect God. That puts all of us in a very bad situation because I'm not sure if you're aware of it, you're not perfect. Amen, Amen. there you go, you can amen that. That's a good thing to amen, yes. Absolutely, I am aware of that. You're not perfect. If that's all I told you, man, we'd all go home crying because that means I can't be with God. That means I can't have a relationship with God, but it doesn't end there. That's why the good news matters. That's why all of our, those, those that are really grasped and their hearts are, are, are impacted by the beauty of the gospel, they can't help but spend the rest of their life sharing that gospel because it is the antithesis to that bad news. It comes and it rescues the day. It's that Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't. And then that is what qualified him. To be able to stand in our place, die in our place for our sins—that's what that all was about. That's—he was born of a virgin and then never sinned, and that's why he could step in. He was both man and God. How? How was that? I don't know, but it's true. And he stepped in, took the punishment that I should have had. And if I put faith in that, this is what the Bible teaches: I don't have to. I don't have to believe that. Plus do a bunch of stuff, do more good things than I did bad things, I can trust, I can put faith in the fact that the sacrifice of Christ is enough to pay the price for my sins and I can be saved. I can believe that he rose from death and and that he was triumphant over death and sin. I, I, I no longer need to fear death, but I can embrace it as the final victory. It's by faith that we're saved. And the only reason we have that story is because of God's great love. In this we know love. He sent Jesus. And we see in 1 John three sixteen it says, by this we know love. See, again and again and again, the writer's trying to give us indicators. He wants us to understand. He knows it's a big deal when he keeps calling us to love in response to the way God has loved us. So he keeps coming back, inspired by the Holy Spirit, understanding, I can't just tell these people to love. I got to help them understand what that means. And so he keeps pointing us back to the cross, whether it be from the perspective of Christ, who's, who stretched out his hands and died for sinners who didn't care, who had died for the ones who were going to put him there, whether it's from his perspective or from the perspective of the father who sent his only son to do that. We see and we understand the essence of love. It is selflessness and sacrifice. This is what defines love, and we only have a chance to understand what it is. We only have a chance to understand how to walk that out by paying attention to how God treats us even in light of what we really deserve. How did, how did Jesus treat us, even though that's not what we deserved? What was he willing to lay down? Because he loved us. What, what did he hold back? He held nothing back. And so we begin to see the picture being painted of what the Christian is called to. Man, this isn't a joke. This isn't this isn't a country club we show up at every week to to see who dresses the nicest. We're called to be on a mission. We're called to lay down our lives in response to the one who did first. <laughs> That's what this thing's about. And we're going to celebrate the fact that putting faith in that today changes the hearts of men and women. It's not boring to be a Christian. It's the most most wonderful life I can imagine. It says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's another word for sacrifice. He stepped in, took the punishment we should have. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see the equation, right? Some of you like math, some of you don't, okay? I'm not super strong on, on math, but I understand this. An equation is... You know, a number plus a number equals something, right? So something plus something equals something. Here, God is writing an equation for us here. He's showing us, he says, (laughs) the writer says, if God's loved us like this, God plus his love for us, what it should equal is that we love one another in the same way. It's locked in in with the same certainty that two plus two equals four is. And so this shows us something. This teaches us something. For some of us, it causes a red flag because if to be loved by God in the way that he loves people should instantaneously cause an outflow of love from that person. If what we're seeing instead is a lot of pride and selfishness, then perhaps we've not understood the love of God. Do you understand what I'm saying there? That's a big deal. Two plus two will always equal four, right? You cannot change that. To be loved by God... The way that he loves us will always cause us to love others. And if you're not seeing a lot of that, something's broken. Something's not happened. Either something's not happened yet or something has been stifled. Something's been reversed. And it's an issue. What marks the Christian, what marks those that belong to Jesus, is that natural outflow of love that comes from being loved in the way that God does. Don't try to count how many times I'm going to say love in this sermon. You won't be able to keep up. It's going to be a lot. I'm just just keeping track with with the author of Scripture here. So he says that if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, always, every time. Verse 12, it says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so I've always thought that this if you if you weren't tracking with the f- the flow of thought this verse could seem out of place you see this m- maybe one of the the strongest and most beautiful most eloquent layouts or dissertations on the nature of love the call of the christian to love the fact that god has loved us, us first you see this this argument being built this this uh, this kind of track being laid, leading us to this beautiful truth. And then, right smack in the middle of it, you see this seemingly odd statement that no one has seen God at any time. God has loved us. That should cause us to love each other. God is love. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. No one's seen God at any time. Okay. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily seem to fit with what's going on there, but here's the deal. Here's, here's what he's letting us know. You see, um, in Matthew 25, there's this. Honestly, it's a bone-chilling picture painted of uh, this point where God's going to make some judgment based on the, I've got to be careful how I say this, because the works that we do as a result of God loving us so well, that is not how we're saved. I need you to understand that. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith alone. It is by believing in what Jesus has done that we become Christians. However, there are many who think they have believed that. But because there are no works behind it, we find out that maybe they've not really believed it. And that's a big deal. And so what God's saying there through Matthew 25 is there's going to be a separation. And part of what's going to happen there, what, part of what Jesus says is pretty much you loved people, you didn't. You guys get away from me. You guys get to stay. And here's the thing. The people that get to stay, they say, well, when did we... When were we good to you? When did we love you? When, did we, when were you naked and we clothed you? When were, we, when were you hungry and we fed you? When were you thirsty and I gave you something to drink? When were you in jail and I visited you? When were you sick and I prayed for you? Lord, I don't remember ever doing that. And here's what Jesus says. Catch this. Anytime you did this, even to the least, you did it unto me. Here's the deal. No one's seen God at any time. For us to love each other, for us to love the downtrodden, for us to love the struggling, for us to love the rejected, for us to love people as an outflow of the way God has loved us, is God takes it directly as if we're doing it to Him. You see... We can, we can worship the Lord, we can stand here, we can sing songs together, that is good, that is right, that is proper, that is biblical. We can, we can give of tithes and offerings, and in that way, yes, we do give to God, and we fund the building of his kingdom and the mission of spreading his gospel. Yes, we can give to him in that way, but the reality is, I can't, I can't give God a hug. I can't really give God a present, and honestly, I can't meet a need he has, because he has none. But what he said is, you can do that for somebody. I'm going to count that just like you did it to me. Amen. You love somebody, you're loving me. One, here's what I'm trying to, one of the most beautiful and one of the most powerful ways that we can love God is to love somebody. Amen. He set it up that way. And that I, I love him and I want to show him every single day that I love him. And sometimes the way I can do that is by being sensitive and paying attention to somebody that might need love around me. Because he takes that as if I'm doing it directly to him. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Amen. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Again, he lets us know God is love. That's, that's, that's why it's so deep. That's why it's so wide. That, that statement. It it appears twice It's as if we need to understand that. We need to understand it it, it should be emphasized. If God is love, I need to understand what that means. If I'm called to love not only my neighbor, not only my Christian brothers and sisters, but I'm called to love my enemy, I could spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what does God mean when he says love, and I would not exhaust it, nor would I have wasted my time. And and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend the rest of my life figuring out more and more what this call of love really is. Judging myself and repenting when I don't do a good job at it. And asking God to give me grace to do better at it every day. I want to love my family as an outflow of the, of the love that God showed me in Christ. I want to love my neighbors in that way. I want to love those that do me wrong. The way Jesus loved me when I was a rebel, when I didn't care. When I wasn't seeking him, when I pushed him away. When I blasphemed him, he just loved me right through that, pushed past all my hate and anger. I'm thankful for that. It says, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So there's two things happening here. First of all, he's talking about the fact that as we begin to understand the love of God, as we understand that he loves us as a good father loves his children, what it does is it takes away from us the fear of judgment. There's a confidence Not a cockiness, a confidence that comes in understanding the love of God and understanding the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, understanding the way faith takes a man from death to life, from darkness to light. There can be a confidence that in that day, not because we did good enough, but because Jesus did good enough, that when that day comes and we're in that throne room and judgments are being handed out, we will not stand there with shaking knees, but we'll stand there with hands lifted, declaring praise and honor to the one who rescued us from death. There's confidence that comes in understanding the love of this sovereign God. It can cause me to be confident as I walk in this world, knowing that he loves me enough to equip me for the mission he called me to, that he's not called me to try to spread this gospel in this world and not equip me for it. He's not going to ask me to be on mission and say, you're on your own, son, go and do it, but he walks with me. I have his power, his strength. I have his words because mine are always insufficient. Very aware of that but he'll come and he'll walk with me and he'll speak through me and he'll increase my capacity for love. Oftentimes we stand in a circle and we pray before we go out on Wednesday nights and, and we drive all over the city and we do, we do Matthew 25 stuff. We take people that are hungry food. We take people that are thirsty something to drink. When it's cold, we take them a blanket and we're taking the love of God and in doing that, we're trying to crack open the door of their heart so that then we can sow gospel seeds and we hope that those seeds find fertile soil that a harvest is grown and that God is glorified through it. That's what we're doing there. But oftentimes when we gather together, we pray before every time. I will, I will ask that God would increase our capacity for love. Help us, Lord, because we have, a, we have a tendency to, even in the midst of being a part of something like that, we could, we could get selfish, we could get self-focused, we could, we could get about us. The weather, the temperature, the time. What's going on? What else I could be doing? Really, if if I'm doing that, or if I'm sitting in the cubicle at work, or not that I do, I'm, I'm projecting for you. I know some of you are cubicle workers. I'm not smart enough to do that. I have to swing a hammer, but um, some of you do. You work at a desk. I don't care where you're at. <clears throat> I don't care if you're out on the streets doing ministry. I don't care if you're in a classroom at college. I don't care what you're doing. But I'm I'm asking God to increase your capacity for love, to love that jerk in the office that's always shooting his mouth off, that's talking about you behind your back. I want you to love him so good that he has to come, and he has to ask you, what the heck's wrong with you? You can't do that. I get it. I know what you want to do. You want to rip the guy's head off, right? Right? You can be honest. No, I'm really holy. You're lying. Okay, it's all right. I understand. What's natural is to respond in like kind. What is natural is to go after somebody that goes after us. You hurt me, I hurt you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's, that's natural. Here's the beauty. We're called to live above that. That's what supernatural is about. It's not about getting weird and doing a bunch of crazy stuff. To live a supernatural life is to do things that are unnatural. It is unnatural even to love those around us who we should love the way that Jesus loves, because it requires complete and total selflessness, which is not the default mode of any man or woman. We live supernaturally. It's by his grace and by his power only. And so I encourage you to pray with me. Ask the Lord to increase your capacity for love, that you can love better than you would be able to by yourself. Amen. And also here we see that um, it says there is uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because um, he who fears is not perfected in love, okay? So some of you, again, this can seem like an odd connection. What does is, what is not having fear have to do with love? What is, how does love answer fear? What, what's the deal with that? And you see that, again, it comes back to what is natural and what is not. See, every man and every woman has in them a a bit of a survival instinct, right? And so... When it's magnified all the way out, it gets to you know, it comes all the way to you know. I'm going to get mine. I don't care about anybody else. That that the amplification of that survival mentality, it's all the way to that, right? I'm going to get rich or die trying. Step on heads, do it, right? You guys have heard that before, right? The the prophet Fifty Cent, he said, "I'm going to get rich or die trying." (laughs) It's a prophet of the land. Don't listen to him. Okay, Jesus says, "Follow me and serve me, and I'll provide for what you need. Don't worry about tomorrow." Sparrows, they don't they don't store in barns, but I take care of them, and I love you a whole lot more than I care about those sparrows. Trust me, you'll have what you need. So, how does fear vanquish love? And, and forgive me if if the if the parental analogies tend to stack up, but it's just that God thinks of us as His kids, and so it just makes sense to think this way. Here's the thing: if if I'm, you know. If I'm on vacation with my family and, and we go out west somewhere and we're in the mountains and, 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 and we're hiking and, you know, um, we see all the signs that say, uh, you know, careful, there's bears and, um, you know, so be careful with food and stuff and we don't care, we're just happy and lackadaisical and we got peanut butter and jelly sandwiches flinging everywhere and we're just doing our thing, having a fun time and uh, here comes a grizzly bear, right? And it's, it's mad, it's angry, it wants some peanut butter and jelly and, um, so here it comes. It's coming, it's coming for the family, right? What, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to jump behind my kids and my wife so you guys deal with that? No. I love them. And so I don't care if the grizzly has a 99.9% chance of winning. It's going to have to get through me to get to them. And if i got to sharpen a stick real quick, pick up something large and heavy like a rock, I'm going to fight that bear till I'm dead or it's dead. I'm not going to sit there and think about how do I feel about this. Um, am I scared? No. Here's the bottom line: You want to hurt my family? That's not going to happen. I love them. Fear's not even in the equation. Okay. Now that can be an extreme example, but here's what I'm saying: Some of you, it's not fear of being torn apart by a grizzly that holds you back. It's fear of rejection. For some of you, it's the fear of sounding dumb if somebody brings up an argument at your work that makes your Christianity look like it's not valid. Some of you have fear of not, uh, if you were to sow the gospel, that it would not be accepted. Some of you fear because you think your image might be affected. See, when you, when you care more about people's eternity than you do how people think about you, all of a sudden, love overtakes you, boldness comes out of that, fear is vanquished. And you become a gospel-slinging machine. And that's what we want. There is no place for fear in the Christian. Love vanquishes that. Perfect love casts out fear. I don't have time to think about whether I'm scared or not. If the bear's coming, me and the bear are tangling. If all I'm doing is giving them time to run, I love them. I lay down my life for them right now. No questions asked. I don't have to think about it because I love them, right? Here's the thing. What will I lay down for the person in the office? What will I lay down for the person, my, my neighbor next door? Am I, am I willing to potentially, what, what if they reject me? Yeah, what if? You know, I, I find it funny somehow. Somehow we, we get this whole thing twisted. We get, we get afraid and nervous about sharing the gospel. Here's the thing, man. You, you ever think a lifeguard's been nervous? You know, somebody's drowning, right? And they, they run out there with the floaty, and they're getting ready. To, you think they're nervous about throwing that floaty to them? Like, what, oh, what if they don't take it? What if if they don't like the way I throw it? What if they don't like the color of this one? This one's red and white, but what if they like blue better? No, man, they're drowning. They're about to die. I don't care if they like it or not. I'm going to throw them the ring, man. Come on, brother, grab it. We'll talk about color later. Stop drowning. See, we get all goofed up. We get Fear seizes us. If we live in love, it'll happen less. We'll have holy boldness to speak the gospel boldly. There'll be no shame. Love overtakes us. Amen. We love because he first loved us. You got that? You got to always keep that straight. We have no capacity for love. We couldn't understand it, nor could we walk in it. We'd have nothing to do with love whatsoever if he didn't love us first. We couldn't know what love was. If it was not for him coming first. If somebody, listen, if reconciliation was going to happen be, between God and man, if things happen as they should have, we should have had to reach first. We should have had to beg God for mercy. We should have had to do something to initiate this process of we've rebelled, we've sinned, we've cast aside relationship, but we want that back. But he knew we wouldn't. And he wanted us more than, than we would have ever wanted him. And so he, he skipped the way it should have went. And he came first. He came and interrupted the course that mankind was on. He sent Jesus to rescue us from ourselves. And that's a that's a really good principle because you know some of you you're still not convinced. I gave you all the scriptures. We're going through this beautiful set of scriptures, and you're still like, "Yeah, man, but you don't get it. You're you're trying to. You're kind of making it sound like love is the fix-all. But look, you don't understand, man. My my marriage is struggling." I do understand, my brothers, my sister, if you would love them the way Jesus has loved you, if you'd be less about you and more about them, that marriage would get fixed. But brother, you don't understand, man, I hate my job. I hate my job so much I don't ever want to go. I feel like all the life's being drained out of me. I hate my job. What's love got to do with that? My brother, first of all, if you would think about the fact there's a bunch of people who don't have a job, wish they could do anything and pray for them, instead of thinking about you and what you want so much, if you let love take over and you'd be concerned with someone else's plight instead of your own, it'd be hard to be so ungrateful. So next time you're tempted to be all messed up like that, pray for somebody who don't have a job. Let your love for them take your pity party and wash it right down the river. Wow, love did fix that problem. Man, my family's busted up. I, I, I'm, I'm addicted, man. Listen, what's love got to do with addiction? You know what? I, I've, had, I've got a long family history of people that struggle with addiction. Here's the bottom line. Love can fix that too. Because if you understand that God has put you on this planet, not just to breathe a bunch of air and then die one day, but that God puts every single person here and puts gifts in them, that there's a a mission for them to do. You understand that there's a group of people that are on a mission somewhere that if you're all bound up and chained in addiction, they're missing you from their squad. God's called you to be a peace, put stuff in you. And what we do, when we understand how much God has loved us, what we're supposed to do is come and we present ourselves the way that he presented himself to us. We lay all of ourselves down the way that he laid himself down for us. We give back to him what is his to begin with. He created us. He gifted us. He made us. And so you get motivated about the mission of the gospel. You let love overtake you. You let the fact that you have the potential to affect somebody's eternity by God's grace... You love people more than you love the satisfaction that comes in whatever chemical, person, food, whatever addiction has you chained. When you care more about other people than you do about your pleasure, all of a sudden that addiction will become disgusting to you because you realize it would hold you back from loving somebody else. When our life becomes about that, you see, love vanquishes fear. Love vanquishes addiction. Love breaks the back of sin. And that's why over and over again, doesn't matter where you look in the scriptures, held high over and over, is love God and love people. That's why we talk about it a lot. Guys, listen to me. Listen, if if I'm your pastor, listen to me right now. I love you. If we could get this, if we could get, I'll quit talking about it so much, I promise you, we'll know when we get this. Because we will see We will see a region turned upside down for Christ. We will see people rushing to give their lives to Jesus because if people saw us loving the way we're called to here, if people saw us loving the way it's defined here, they would not be able to resist the God who empowers us to love this way. That's why I'm going to keep talking about it. That's why we're going to keep talking about it. That's why, again and again and again, no matter what we're talking about, I'm going to keep encouraging you to love others more than you love yourself. Because I'm just convinced that most of the woes that plague you, most of the, 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 the disappointments in your life, they are, they are a result of not enough love not understanding this, not putting this in the high place where it belongs. I'm going to chase this principle. I'm going to chase this being obedient to this call for the rest of my life. And I hope tomorrow to be better at it than I am today. The primary way I can serve Jesus is to love him in return and to let him love through me to others. That is, it it, it is the primary way. Now there is much else to consider in the scriptures and I'm not trying to Oversimplify them, but what I'm telling you is this is a big deal. And many of the other things we worry about would be solved if we got this right. Our mission would be fueled with, with the right fuel. We would see the results that I know some of you hope for. Some of you are frustrated. You wonder why it's so hard in this culture, in this day, to share the gospel. You you wonder why there's so much animosity towards it. It's because oftentimes we've led with hypocrisy and judgmentalism instead of love. If we would lay our lives down for others, it would make it very hard for them to reject us. If they would see and understand, if they would experience the love of Christ through us, it would be very hard for them to reject the beautiful gospel that would come behind it. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen... Cannot love God whom he has not seen. You all right with that? Let's quit holding grudges. Let's quit letting bitterness, any kind of anger. We can't hold any of that kind of stuff. That's all of that is poison, and all of that is just slowing down the mission. But you don't understand. I'm. How can I fix it? I'm the one that was wronged. So was Jesus. He got over it, and he came. Thank you, Jesus. And in doing that, he set an example for us. You wrong me. I can't sit around and wait for you to get it right. Come, grovel, show how contrite you are and how sorry you are. I need to rush to you. I can't afford to have schism in my life. I can't afford to have disunity because I got something to do. And I can't afford the flow of grace to be blocked from my life, which is very clear in the scriptures. If we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven. Forgiveness is woven in inseparably into love, and it's something you have an opportunity to do probably every day. Whether it's the person that cuts you off or the person you know real well, whether you know them or you don't, you're going to have an opportunity every day to be offended about something. And two things happen. One, when you're consumed by the love of God, it's harder for you to get offended. And secondly, it's way harder for you to stay offended. You just don't care that much because it's not that important, because it's not about you primarily. You understand that God has called you to empty yourself, not to suppress all the way down by God's spirit that survival instinct and make your life more about the needs of others. And some of you, like, you're still, it's not clicked for you yet, because this doesn't sound like fun. You're like, yeah, but I like caring about me. I like taking care of me. I like making sure that I have what I need. Here's the beauty, and here's how this is supposed to work. If I care more about you than I care about myself, and then you care more about me than you care about yourself, guess what? Everybody still gets taken care of, and God gets glorified because that's not natural. People see, what? They're laying down what's most important to them to care more about what that guy needs? Nobody does that. There's something different there. That's exactly right. It's called love. The real kind. It's not about me. It's not about me. I need, to, I need to care more about my neighbor three doors down that lost his wife recently. He's, he's very old. And uh, it, honestly, it can be hard sometimes to go and talk and, and, and sit down and talk to him because, you know, a lot of times he'll say the same things over and over again. But you know what? I need to care less about what's convenient for me. I need to go down there and sit and listen to that man's stories and, uh, and love on him. Take the kids down there and let them hug on him. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That's not convenient for me. I got stuff to do. You understand? I'm a busy man. But it doesn't matter. I love that guy. I want to see him meet Jesus. I'm going to sit on his porch listening to the same story 100 is a hundred times. Is a part of that? Is a way I can show him that I care more about him than I care about my schedule? Well, glory to God. Amen. Let's hear that story, brother. Quit lying to yourself. If you're holding a grudge, you know, you can say, oh, I don't hate him. I'm just, listen, quit splitting hairs. If you're holding a grudge, stop right now. I love you. That's poison. You're not hurting anybody but yourself. And you can't hold that and say you love God. You can't do it. So quit lying to yourself. Forgive him. Let the grace of God flow through you. Let love win. Verse 21, in this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God... Should love his brother also. Again, he, he just keeps on withdrawing that equal sign for us. He wants us to see this inextricable connection. And we see it also in, when Jesus was challenged. I always pull you back to that because we see that the scribe in that day was asking Jesus for the most important commandment. Teacher, what's the most important commandment? He's asking for one. Jesus gives him two. Can Jesus count? yes. He does know the difference between one and two. Here's the deal. You cannot pull apart loving God and loving people because the only way you're going to love God is if you've been loved by him, and if you've been loved by him, you will love people. It's just the way it works. How can I be sure if I'm a Christian? You love people? You care about whether or not they make it to heaven? Do you love God's people? Like, really? Do you care more about their welfare than your own? These, these are really good questions to ask because sometimes we can be raised in church our whole life and we can think that we've, we've been impacted by the risen Christ, but we're given these indicators in the scriptures to help us understand. Look, man, don't you can't say, <laughs> I love God, but not love your brother. You can't do it. So he gives us these awesome ways to check ourselves, and um, I just encourage us all to continually and always do that. Don't, don't push this stuff aside. Don't, don't let it become secondary because clearly from the Scriptures, it's primary. We have to love in response to how much God has loved us. But Pastor Vince, the name of the church is Love City. Come on, man. The mission is love God, love people. Like, okay, I get it. Clearly not. Clearly not. Well, no. When we see, po- when we see people rushing in response to the flow of love coming from us because God the Father is loving through us, when we see that, we'll, we'll know we've got it, okay? Then we'll move on to something else. But here's the thing. I think for the rest of our lives, we could talk about this. And, and here's the thing. As, as people come, as they receive Christ, as people, they, they begin to first taste and see that the Lord is good, we're, then we're all going to have to do a good job teaching them this because we need them to then go love people and make disciples, so we're not going to get away from this. So if you're like, look, man, I just, I can't hear about it again. I don't think it's as important as you do. Well, listen, I'm sure there's somewhere you could find that will talk about it less. It's not going to be here. you got to keep first things first, man. The gospel's important. You're going to hear that here every week. That we're separated from God by sin, but Jesus made a way that we don't have to be. That we can put trust and faith in Christ and his finished work, and we can be Christians. We can... Step into that place we were originally created for, to be sons and daughters of God. We're going to say that every week for two reasons. One, there may be somebody here that doesn't know that. There might be somebody here that really still believes that that when they get to heaven, there's going to be some scale, and hopefully they did more good things than bad things, and if they did, then they'll make it in. There might be somebody here that still believes that, so we got to make sure every week, every chance we get, and I'm hoping you have this same urgency every day in your life, there might be somebody in earshot that doesn't know the gospel. I'm going to make every opportunity count that I can to share the most beautiful truth that will ever reach human ears. That is the good news of the gospel. So we're going to do it here for that reason, and two, because it's good for me over and over again to say it and to hear it. It's good for every Christian all the time to hear and rejoice in the simple beauty of the truth that saves us. That's the gospel. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you uh, for bringing us to your scriptures. We thank you for inspiring Pastor John to write these scriptures. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you entrust us with truths this deep. I still feel like the fact that, that you are love that the depth of that evades me, even though I try to think about it all the time. Lord, I ask you to just continue to teach us what that means. Continue to teach us what that should cause our lives to look like. Lord, help us to be less selfish. Every single day, we, we, we walk into a world that screams the message to us that we are most important, that we are of, of the highest importance, that we should focus most on what we need, that we're worth it, we're advertised and marketed to every day. Lord, we are tempted all the time to make it about us. Lord, help us to follow your example. Help us to lay ourselves down for the mission of sharing this beautiful gospel. Lord, help us to care more about people meeting you and knowing you and and understanding and, and experiencing your love than we do our own convenience. Lord, let selfishness just melt away as love overtakes us. Teach us how to love like you did. Teach us how to love like you do. Help us to respond in the way that is right. We need your help to do it, Lord, because it's not natural. It's not something that we can just decide to do. We are asking for the help of your Holy Spirit to walk this out We hear the call, Lord, but we see that it's not something we can accomplish without your help. But that's the beauty, that you don't call us to some lesser mission, that if we just white-knuckled it and tried our best that we could pull it off. You call us to a mission that causes us to rely on you, that causes us to press into you, that causes us to call out to you, knowing that we need you because we'll fail without you. And that brings us great joy. Thank you we don't have to do this on our own, Lord. Thank you for promising to help us. We receive that now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www. That my love